Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. What you're about to hear is a brand new thing we're doing at Course Examine Life and we're really excited about it. We've gotten Stephen West, the host of the very popular, very wonderful Philosophize This podcast, to start hosting after shows. So we have an episode, and then he and one of the participants meets up with a bunch of listeners to discuss what just happened. We welcome you to participate in these for future episodes. We're administering it through Not School, so go to partiallyexaminedlife.com to sign up for a Not School account. Only costs $5 for the month. And if you want to get in on the next one, which is for Alfred North Whitehead, episode 110. Discussion will be on Sunday, February 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central. So if you go become a member or log into your member account, look under Not School Groups, you will see already a group that's been created solely for the purpose of figuring out who wants to be on the Whitehead call. All you need to do is join that group, and then you'll receive in your email at the time of the call a link to follow for a Google Hangout discussion. Even if you don't want to participate in the discussion yourself, you can witness the discussion in real time through the Google On Air feature, which creates an automatic YouTube video of the discussion as it's being recorded. I want to emphasize that if you want to do this, you don't have to read the book, unlike most not-school groups where you read what everybody else is reading and join in. The whole purpose of this is it's for everybody who just listens to the podcast. Maybe you've got some questions about things that were said. Maybe you have your own thoughts you want to put forward. Join this group. What you're going to hear here is about the first 18 minutes of the discussion. The whole thing went for about an hour and a half. You can go get the full audio by logging into your PEL Citizen account. Go to the Free Stuff for Citizens page and look under the Not School Discussion Group Audio tab. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the after show of the Partially Examined Life podcast, a podcast about a, a few guys that at one point decided to do philosophy for a living and then thought better of it and then thought about it again, decided to do it for a living, and that's why we're here today. I'm Stephen West. That's Mark Linsenmeyer. I believe Dylan is in the audience as well. Hola. Would it behoove us for me to explain what this whole train wreck is going to be so that you know people can understand what to expect on future episodes? Do you think I should do that? Do it. All right. I'll correct you when you're wrong. All right. Well, something that we all have in common, all the people listening to this recording right now, is that we all love the Partially Examined Life. It's a wonderful show. Why wouldn't you really? It's the greatest minds in the philosophical world all coming together, talking about stuff week after week. But at the end of any two-hour segment, you feel like you're more of an expert on a subject, but really it only kind of serves to give a skeleton of information. It doesn't really serve to answer the questions that you have about that subject or to flesh it out. That's what this podcast is. It's an after show. Its job is to answer any questions that you have, make that skeleton into a full-bodied human with muscles and skin and organs and all the rest of the stuff that comes on a skeleton. So it's like the talking dead. Yes. It's a yeah. talking dead. We are the untalented people after the truly talented people get done talking. <laughs> Should we go around, since there's few enough of us this time, Alan, introduce yourself, then Cam and Nick and... Alan Cook in Austin, Texas. I'm Cam Gill in London, England. And a beautiful English accent. Is that Liverpool? 
Uh, no, no, that is a, an authentic London accent. See, that's my ignorant American question whenever somebody has a British <laughs> accent. I just say, is it Liverpool? And then if I'm right, then I'm a genius. If I'm not, then I'm just an American who is not cultured. Nick, yeah, don't, don't, don't a Liverpool accent would have been a good call. Don't all Liverpool yeah, accent ones sound like, like Ringo? <laughs> that's the only thing that they all sound like Ringo. List off any place in England that you know and you have a good chance. I'm Nick. I am from BC, Canada, the hat of America. So... Let's talk about Carl Jasper. That's the reason we're all here, right? I mean, enough with the pleasantries, a disingenuous conversation. None of us really care about each other or where we're from. Let's talk about no. Jasper's. I this think... isn't bugging me. Is it Jasper's or Jasper's? Yeah, Jasper's. It is Jasper's, right. but it's one of those things that we decided not to care. Yeah this, is the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the paradox of saying anything in the proper way that it's pronounced where it comes from, is if you say it correctly, you sound pretentious. You but if you say it like an American, you sound dumb. Let's just say Jaspers and revel in our own American ignorance. Except for you, Cam. You're an English ignorant person. I am reveling in it, though, so... Wouldn't it be <laughs> Jaspers? Yeah. So if you go to Google Images and you type in Carl Jaspers, I welcome anybody to go and do that right now and just look into the man's eyes. He's and a serious-looking guy. If you don't turn to stone instantly, like, <laughs> this man looks like he got an eye transplant from Hitler. Like, Hitler was an organ donor. And you're just staring into the eyes of evil. I've never met anybody named Jaspers before. And I feel like it's something that could be etched on the outside of a haunted mansion. And, it, you know, nobody knows much about old man Jasper's up there on the hill. It kind of is this elusive haunting aura. And in a weird way, his philosophy, at least the concept of transcendence, or the, the transcendent, is haunting and elusive as well. I feel like when I'm reading it, I'm chasing a ghost like I'm never actually supposed to understand what the fuck he's talking about fully. Like I'm supposed to kind of get it. Yeah, I hope so, because I found, like, I enjoyed reading him, but I had to reread sections over and over again because I couldn't tell if he was just screwing with the reader. It was like, what is your point? Maybe that's just Continental. I'm not used to reading Continental, but it was like really poetic, but I had no idea what he was talking about most of the time. Mark, do you yeah. think he leaves this open? Do you think he makes it ambiguous purposefully so that it can't be packaged up into dogma? I think that's a point that somebody made on the original podcast. Of what the transcendent yeah, is, yeah, sorry. maybe. But he does go in much more length, of course, in his different works. I think this really was just a difficult reading because it was so summarial. He had written, like, huge tracts, but this is all really condensed essays, right? And the reason and existence is, like, lecture notes or condensed lectures. Like, it's not a, his... Oh, reasons existence, yeah, that's lectures as well. I mean, the one that we actually read was this On My Philosophy, which was recommended as sort of the... Uh, and that was really condensed. Right. A good introduction. It was in a compilation. Existentialism from mm. Dostoevsky to Sartre, I believe, is the compilation I got it out of. But it's sort of after the fact, like many of these philosophers do, where they write their magnum opus and then re-explain it several more times. What struck me when I was listening, and, and also when you were talking just now, was... The links to Kierkegaard, to the idea that however sort of advanced or sophisticated your philosophy becomes, once you sort of nail it down and it becomes like a fixed dogma, then you effectively sort of, you've sort of given up and you've, you've ceased to be, a, to engage in sort of philosophical activity. I guess that sort of fits with what you were saying about not really understanding what he's talking about. Is if he just lays out to you what existence means, then you've sort of given up trying to create a concept of it for yourself. I don't know if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. It's exactly how I feel. The concept of constantly searching for this elusive moving target. I feel like it's almost like I'm starting in San Diego. Jaspers tells me that I need to go on this road trip, but he doesn't tell me where I need to go. 
it's kind of like the amazing race where the target just keeps kind of moving all around the place. And through correspondence with friends and family and people that will reinforce the progress that I make, I need to stop at every gas station along this road and ask people for directions. Where to, I don't know. Oh, wait a minute. Was that a metaphor for life or for reading Jaspers? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. No, I, I think it's a metaphor for Jaspers. Okay, I mean, Jaspers. <laughs> Once we're in this human condition where we understand the limitations of empiricism and the fact that religion or at least dogmatic thinking in that way is not going to be sufficient, it seems like philosophy's role to Jaspers, it, the real profound point that I think he makes, really what he's doing is he's redefining what philosophy is. Instead of it being a sort of pursuit of reading what people in the past have said, it becomes sort of a personal quest that you embark on. And it's a quest that will never end. I mean, e even if you reach this level of transcendence or you, you reach existence, ultimately that's not the end-all be-all place to arrive. It is a constant pursuit of being a more authentic person, correct? Yeah, actually it, it made me think of like, he's sort of advocating like ancient philosophy, right? It used to be like, you know, Plato and Socrates were concerned with being better people, and the Republic can be seen as like allegory for that. But they also seem to be actually concerned with constructing worldviews, whereas it seems like Jaspers really wants to avoid having any communal agreement and just wants to have the contemplation. But I also found it really confusing as to what he meant by reason. So he seems pretty reasonable, <laughs> but he's using reason at like capital R reason. He doesn't want anyone to be that reasonable or something. Like I didn't quite get, he's written so many books, but he says, you know, don't think about it too hard. It's not don't think about it too hard. It's if you think about it as much as you can think, then you, you realize you're at the limits of language. You realize that you're at the limits of reason. So when Wittgenstein gets to the point where he's basically saying, well, really none of what I've been saying should be able to be said or the, anything really important can't be said here. There are lots of philosophers that kind of get to that point. With Plato, it is getting the whole idea, can virtue be taught? That the what ultimately you want to get at yeah. is the form of the good. And so that's not something... So there's a big question in Plato's scholarship. Is the whole thing really just kind of a front for some secret teaching that you could only get esoteric teaching by having certain mystical experiences and that all Plato's dialogues are supposed to just get you in a position to be able to feel the light of the good in that way. There's a lot of different examples of different philosophers right. who kind of get to this point of stopping. And I think that's just what he's referring to. Reason somehow pulls you beyond reason. Yeah. And I think he always is talking about that idea that it's only as an individual that you can arrive at the truth. What it reminds me of is kind of something that I bet all of you people are familiar with because you're probably all the smartest people in your immediate group of family and friends. I bet you're the first person that they think of when they're asking for advice. But the problem with advice is I don't know if people ever actually follow advice or if it takes a very extraordinary type of person to follow advice. And I wonder if that's kind of the sentiment that he's getting at where ultimately you can read all about the chronological history of philosophy, the collection of the greatest ideas ever in my opinion, but are you really ever able to practically put those into use unless if you have a set of mystical experiences or some sort of experience where you arrive at that truth? I think there's anything you just have to come to the conclusion yourself and it's hard to be taught that. I mean, I guess that's sort of the Plato connection, right? There's also an element where I was just thinking when you're talking about when people ask for advice, often what they're looking for is, you know, ways that they can address either a specific situation or they can make themselves happy. But it seems like a lot of philosophy and certainly Jasper's is he's not even promising that this will make you happy. In fact, a bit like Kierkegaard and Nietzsche, he's promising you'll probably make yourself quite miserable for like a serious <laughs> section of, of this process. 
and you won't necessarily find any resolution. But, you know, it'll make you, I don't know, I guess more fulfilled, more realized in deep at the end of a never-ending process. And I always sort of wondered, like, I've occasionally tried to sort of live by principles derived from philosophy, and I've only ever found it's made my life more difficult. But there's still a sort of uh, a nagging feeling that you should, that I should be doing this. That sort of feels like what he's getting at, you know, that he's not going to provide you with any solutions or even a particularly useful roadmap. The best you'll get is like one level up meta way of thinking about thinking about your life. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's something that I was thinking about as I was reading, and maybe one of you guys can clear this up for me. I, I feel like he kind of presents the condition that we're born into as human beings where we're ultimately going to realize the limits of empiricism, the limits of scientific inquiry, and when we're at that point, we're faced with a choice. Either we can take a leap of faith towards the transcendent, or we can sink into despair and misery. But you don't have to look very far around you to realize that not many people ever arrive at that level that he's talking about. I mean, is that a false dichotomy? And is there also billions of people in the world that don't even really consider the limits of scientific inquiry and whether there is some ultimately more authentic, better way to live? He talks about scientists at one point in the other essays as being like, you know, that they could go to their grave hoping that they could live longer and learn more and more and more, but that wasn't really self-fulfilling. He doesn't really talk about happiness explicitly from what I read, but it seems like he's saying the point isn't to sort of fill yourself up with knowledge, but to sort of think better. The suggestion is that that would help you generally, right? Reaching that state could not help you. That's sort of what I got from it. Yeah. Mark, what do you think about that? Well, first I want to say hello. I see Ammo just joined. Is that how to it? Where are you calling hello. from? I'm uh, speaking from Toronto in Canada. Great. So I don't remember your question, Stephen. <laughs> well, that's probably because it's not very significant. Let's move on to Amok. Amok. How do you pronounce your name? Amok. Wow. There you uh, go. What ethnicity are you? That's, that's wonderful. I am originally from India, but uh, my family is partly British as well. Wow, that's like Anglo-Saxon and Aryan combining. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's the pinnacle of human thought. So what, do you, like, what question do you have for us? The word worldview was thrown about quite a lot at the beginning, and I wanted to know what exactly uh, was meant by that. And then when you're talking about Jasper suggesting that scientific discovery and so on doesn't constitute a worldview, would that relate to ethics, or I mean, what would you describe as a worldview? I think no matter how far science can extend, if you went to the ends of the universe, and even if science could complete Wikipedia 100%, you know, right. they, they knew everything there was to know about the facts of the universe, there's still elements to your human experience that it can't address. It can't tell you about what it is to be you and certain elements of your life. And I think that what Jaspers is saying is because there's a gap there, philosophy is this individual pursuit that is meant to fill in those gaps. Mark, do you agree? I no longer remember if he actually used the term worldview. In fact, I'm going to do a search on my... <laughs> no, I don't see worldview. It was definitely used in, in the podcast. So yeah. I, yeah, so I think, that, I think that, was, that was me that started it. That, you know, so I was stressing that science is all about establishing specific truths in specific domains, and they're all hypothetical. If you buy the presuppositions under which this experiment was made, then you will accept these conclusions. But since that's hypothetical, it doesn't give you... Yes, I think ethics would be a part of it, but even just a whole, like, should I be a materialist? What does that mean? Or should I be religious or not? So I was purposely kind of vague about this in terms of what a worldview means, because that's just one of the terms that we use in our everyday speech. And the way that Paul initially interrupted me and said, oh, you mean specific versus more general theory, which is actually not what I was talking about, because science can engage in general theories, 
all they want. It's just that it's still a theory about a specific domain. It's never a theory about everything. That's <laughs> and of course, you don't need a theory about everything or information about everything in order to have a worldview. What what constitutes a worldview in our just our everyday speech is something much more limited than that. But kind of just what makes you think that you're living the way an intelligent person should live? <laughs> like, does mm-hmm. science give you that? And I was interested to see whether, like, Paul, I think, didn't agree. He thought that, you know, if science tells you that he gave the example that we're all stardust, we're all descended from the same right. stuff, then that should give you a certain what respect for the earth and uh, other ethical implications. And then Wes jumped in and started going on about Hume's is versus ought. And right, how, right, right. no, strictly speaking, I don't know if I said on the podcast or not, what I thought was that these scientific things, they're necessary for having a worldview, but they're not sufficient. Like you can always take that very same, well, we're all descended from stardust and you could be, oh, well, but we're the ones who evolved in this special way. And so the fact that we are basically the same stuff as feces means that we shouldn't have any respect for animals just because they're part of that same stuff. You know, humans still, because they then hit the bar of reason, you know, so you can have very different views, like a very ecological or a very human-centric asshole view (laughs) based on the same scientific finding. Yeah, Yeah. right. I think you're making Hume's point about uh, there's nothing contrary to reason to preferring the destruction of the world to lifting your little finger. Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately Jaspers is making a sort of like an alternative case to religion here. I think for a long time you had, I think he sort of foreshadowed the false dichotomy that the layman is born into nowadays. I know nobody listening to this thinks that this is a, a true dichotomy, but a lot of people are born into the world and they feel like they have two options. They can become a devoutly religious person, some modern variant of monotheism. They believe there is an anthropomorphized God in the sky that has a plan for them, or they can believe that Richard Dawkins created the world in seven days, you know, all of that stuff. But ultimately what Jaspers is talking about is that I think he's pointing out that science, no matter how extensive it gets, will never be totally sufficient. It will never answer all the questions that we can have about this human experience and that philosophy and this pursuit that he lays out after that is meant to fill in the gaps. It seems like we're talking about ethics here when we talk about worldviews. Is it basically the Azort distinction, right? You can have all the scientific discoveries that you have, but they don't presuppose any kind of ethics. They don't provide any foundation for ethics. So is it just the question of crossing that gap? And some people do it in terms of religion. I would think ethics is a sub part of your beliefs that would make up a worldview. That worldview, you know, right. that if you if you ask a regular person who doesn't read a lot of philosophy, sort of, what's your philosophy of life? And then they would give you something that would roughly correspond to their worldview. And some of that might be, you know, you should be nice to people, whatever. I remember when Mm -hmm. I saw Monty Python's The Meaning of Life when I was a teenager. (laughs) And they hardly ever talk about the meaning of life. And eventually there's like a waiter character that says, well, I think, you know, the meaning of life is just be nice to people or whatever. And then he kind of gets – Exercise a lot. (laughs) he, He gets defensive talking to the camera like, well, I know it's not a very good philosophy. Fuck you. You know, or what? You know, that we sort of ex- we don't know what to expect out of a philosophy, but it definitely I think there's more to it than just immediately. That's the practical versus theoretical distinction, which actually I'm, we're reading Gadamer now for the next one after Whitehead, and he's following right on Jaspers and Heidegger about this very same thing that a lot of what Jaspers was pushing for and and that Gadamer gives in more detail is being into philosophy is having some patience for thinking that is not immediately practical. Whereas ethics, if you think what you need to get out of philosophy is just tell me what to do. Like, well, there's got to be more to a worldview or to philosophy than that. Yeah. Perhaps it has something to do with ontology then, you know, in this kind of Heideggerian sense, Mm. rather than ethics purely in the way we think about it in terms of, you know, deontology versus consequentialism. Yeah. 
right? Maybe it has something to do with, because Buddhism kept being brought up. So perhaps it has something to do, it has, or the worldview thing has, has an ontological meaning rather than an ethical meaning. All right, I hope you enjoyed that substantial chunk of the discussion. I know it was just getting good. You're probably hungry for more. So again, you're going to want to go to partiallyexaminedlife.com. And if you're a citizen, navigate to the Free Stuff for Citizens page that's in the Members menu. And if you're not a citizen yet, it's just $5. You'll get this full discussion. You'll get many hours of bonus audio. And you'll have the option of engaging in future discussions like this. Again, the next one on Alfred North Whitehead, The Concept of Nature, is going to be on February 15th at 1 Eastern Time, noon Central. And of course, if you can't be there at the time, being a citizen means you'll get the full audio version. Thanks again to all of you for listening and for supporting the Partially Examined Life. Good night. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count. Guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.